Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello everyone. Today I will be chatting with Sarah Little. Sarah is a family nurse practitioner working in OBGYN with an amazing group of all female physicians and providers in Fort Worth, Texas. She has 10 years of cardiac ICU experience prior to her transition to OBGYN as an NP. She is passionate about evidence-based care, patient advocacy, inclusive care, and social justice. In today's episode, we will discuss her experience providing women's health care in Texas, where some of the strictest abortion laws are currently in place. We will discuss why abortion is health care and how this will affect everything from maternal mortality rates to mental health. Let's dive in. Just a little disclaimer before we start this episode. This podcast does not provide medical advice. The information on this podcast is for informational purposes only. No material on this site is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hello, everyone. We have Sarah Little on the podcast today. Welcome. Oh, thank you. So we are going to just see where this episode takes us, but we are going to be talking about abortion care in the U.S. and just talking about a few different topics that we feel really strongly about. And I wanted to open this episode up with a quote that I really love. And then Sarah, if you want to just talk a little bit about what you do, and then kind of the implications of the legislation that went into effect in Texas, you know, back in 2021, before Roe v. Wade was overturned, and then we can kind of go from there. So this quote, I feel like just sums up why you cannot be making laws about abortion. So it says, there is no law that can morally predict, control, or punish the infinite number of things that can happen while a person is pregnant. And I just feel like it sums up so perfectly that there are so many different things that can happen before, during, after a pregnancy, and you cannot possibly make a law that would ever be able to address every single one of those things. It's just not possible. So Sarah, if you want to talk a little bit about what you do and then how, just like how the legislation in Texas has impacted the care that's being given to people that are pregnant in your state. Yeah, absolutely. So I am a nurse practitioner. I am a certified family nurse practitioner, and I work in an OB-GYN clinic here in Fort Worth, Texas. I work at Phenom Women's Care. I work with two doctors, Dr. Catherine Bevan and Dr. Andrea Palmer. They are all very committed to making sure that our patients get the highest quality care. And obviously that was kind of impacted when all of these legislations came into play. I actually entered the nurse practitioner field in 2021. So I had not been practicing in OB-GYN for very long. My background is cardiac ICU. So it was kind of a big flip-flop for me. And so this law, which we you know call SB8, came into play and already at that point severely restricted abortion here in Texas. It was basically called the heartbeat law. So if there was any cardiac activity detected, which I call it cardiac activity because that's really what it is at that point. It's not a four-chamber heart pumping blood through it. And so if that was detected on sonogram, there was no legal way that we could facilitate an abortion for that patient. And it's really, really difficult because most women don't know they're pregnant until around that time. And so they have no time to figure out what they want. First of all, they're so terrified in trying to just like get an abortion as soon as they can. And like shortly after this law came out, There was a situation where a patient was pregnant and 
she had been trying to conceive and had been assaulted the same weekend she had intercourse with her husband trying to conceive a baby. And there was just no time to decide what to do. There was no time to try to figure out a paternity test because I believe the soonest you can even do that is seven weeks. So you're already out of time by then typically. And so she ended up deciding to seek care elsewhere to terminate a pregnancy that she really wanted, but could not stand the thought that somebody that had assaulted her would have fathered that child. So it just, it was a heartbreaking situation. And I know that this isn't the only situation out there. And then on top of it, it restricts the care that we can provide with complications in early pregnancy. And so we have seen, or at least I have seen, like, especially through social media, I'm so grateful for all of the providers out there that are actually talking about the the cases where patients like have been harmed by these laws. And there's one particular case that I think the obstetricians for reproductive justice brought to light. And this woman was miscarrying and ended up septic because they had to wait until either that's the position that these laws put us in is that we either have to wait until like a pregnant person is on the brink of death or the heartbeat stops. And a lot of times the pregnant person can experience some medical issues and it's like, well, is this life-threatening? And that's how the laws are written, right? Like we have to intervene only when the life is threatened. And so this woman ended up in the ICU for several weeks because she was being treated for like sepsis, an infection in her blood. They were considered themselves very pro-life ahead of time. And then after experiencing that, they were like, whoa, this is like not (laughs) pro-life. This is not pro-my life. And so, you know, you put women or, you know, anybody that can become pregnant in a situation where even if the pregnancy is very wanted, they can end up in a situation where if they're miscarrying, the treatment that is life-saving, whether you know they're on the brink of death or not, is going to be an abortion, which is technically defined as the evacuation of products of conception. And so I think that there's this misconception of the term abortion as killing a baby, right? And it's like, it really doesn't, that's, that's not the only thing that it really pertains to. And I feel like a lot of people put their own personal values and beliefs behind that term in in terms of like defining it and what they feel is right and wrong. And so it's really hard to make laws around something that is defined individually based on individual circumstances, beliefs, and values. How, how do you put a law on that when we have so many laws dictating religious freedom? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. So, so many things to kind of stem off from there. So the first yeah. is that, I mean, you're right with the word abortion. I mean, I just worked on what, I don't know what day it was, Monday or Tuesday. And I saw, I think, four or five patients alone, like on top. Of, so I think I saw like 25 patients in a shift, five of them. <laughs> That's a pretty big percentage were miscarrying. And the diagnosis for a miscarriage is threatened abortion. So these people will leave the hospital with a diagnosis of threatened abortion. And abortion is written all over their paperwork. It's written in their medical record, right? So this is very confusing terminology for those that are living in a state where abortion is considered against the law, right? You're you're having this word that's being thrown around in legislation and then it's being placed into your medical record and it's being placed into your medical paperwork that you're receiving. And it's just all very confusing. But as you said, the word abortion stands for evacuation of the products of conception. So if you're having a, a miscarriage, that is quite literally what's going on. So whether you're having an, and this is what has always worried me the most is that there's going to be so much confusion at at points within some of this legislation that miscarriages will be mistaken for things that were sought out 
and they'll they'll be confused and there won't be any line between those anymore. And so people that are having miscarriages will inevitably be charged just as those that are seeking abortion. And not that there's any wrong with either one of that. It's just it's going to be very confusing. Like it just you cannot make a you just cannot make a law about this because it just doesn't even make any sense. But so that's the first thing I wanted to say. And then the two other things that we should talk about is obviously pregnancy being a medical condition. We should really focus on that. I think first, let's focus on just the the complications of, I wanted to bring up that study that I had briefly mentioned to you before we started. And so there was this study that came out of the American Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology. And it was called Maternal Mortality and Fetal Outcomes Among Pregnant Women at 22 Weeks Gestation or Less with Complications in Two Texas Hospitals After Legislation on Abortion. So basically, they took 28 women, and this was after September 2021 when SB4, SBA were in place. So this is when termination became impossible unless there was the immediate threat to life, which you had mentioned, the immediate threat mm-hmm. to maternal life. Mm-hmm. And again, no clear cut, like, like <laughs> how are you going to put into a law, like what you actually think Defines an immediate that. threat to mater- maternal life might be, right? Like right. you cannot yeah. possibly list all the the reasons and ways in which someone's life might be threatened, right? Immediately. Right. Like that would be Healthcare impossible. Healthcare is so individual. It's yeah. so individualized. Exactly. And so this took place eight months after that legislation was in place. And so they took these women and these women had significant issues with their with their pregnancies. So whatever the complication might be, they were having really severe bleeding, whatever it might have been that was threatening the pregnancy. Typically, before this law was in place, those women would have get, been given the option of standard of care would have been, okay, you are being offered an abortion. That would have been the standard medical care because your life is being threatened by this pregnancy. And this is this is an option for you, right? After this law went in place, that was not an option for these women, these 28 women. And so they followed them along to see what would happen. So 27 of of these women lost the fetus in utero or the death of the infant right after delivery. So in 27 of the 28 cases, the baby wasn't saved anyway by waiting and, and threatening the woman's life, the mother's life. And the one baby that did remain alive at the time of publication, I don't even know if the baby is still alive, in the NICU had brain bleeding, brain swelling, intestinal damage, liver dysfunction, and so much more, right? So we are keeping a baby alive. And I mean, even just thinking about that makes me want to physically get sick because like, can you imagine that baby's life? That is torture. Like that is awful that you would want that to happen to somebody. Like that just doesn't even make any sense. So then they looked during those nine days that these, the average of nine days that these women were waiting for something to happen to the baby or to themselves or both. Most of them went into labor or had a stillbirth. 57% of the women, so more than half of these women had complication. Of the third of those women that had a complication, the a third of these women required ICU admission surgery or a second admission to the hospital. One of them needed to get a hysterectomy, so she will never be able to have children again. So if that was her first pregnancy, she will never be able to have children again. And then at least half of those complications could have been avoided if an immediate abortion was offered as a choice. So you think about like how incredibly difficult this must be for the mother, right? First of all, absolutely devastating to find out that this pregnancy isn't going to go in the direction you thought it would, right? But then on top of that, you're being like required to just wait it out and see if you're going to die or have serious complications or what's going to happen to the fetus as well. And so I can't imagine what these women are going through mentally because to even go through that at all is it has to be so incredibly difficult. But then on top of it, they were put through so much unnecessary mental and physical anguish. Like, 
thinking about this just makes me so incredibly angry, as I'm sure it does you. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but yeah. I wanted to like, mention that. Enraging. It's so <laughs> enraging. Yes. But the thing is, this comes out and no one does anything. No. Right. Well, like, I mean, what what can what can we do here? No, in I mean, Texas? like like I mean, like lawmakers. They just they just oh, yeah. right by it. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. And I I haven't seen if there was an update, but we don't have our maternal mortality statistics here in Texas. Oh, didn't they? Weren't they supposed they to be release- out and they didn't release them or something? <laughs> Correct. And <gasps> so it was this big deal around the primaries. Like, oh, are you? Are you like keeping them a secret before the election? And things have been a little crazy. So I haven't looked too deeply into like what's going on there. I know that there's an organization that filed a lawsuit against the state of Texas because of that. So there's that. And the fact that it seems like these legislators are parading around under the guise of this pro-life campaign. And it's like, it's anything but. And it's just like... (sighs) The inability of these women to have a choice in how their healthcare is delivered or provided is just, it it goes against everything I stand for as like a healthcare professional and a provider. And so like if we present risks and we provide recommendations and the patient wants to wait it out and see what happens, then great. Like that's their choice. But if they would rather like handle it differently in a way that our laws are currently not allowing us to offer these solutions, then that's where we get into a problem. And it's not as simple as, oh, you're killing babies or like, or not, right? Like that's not really what abortion is about. And I think kind of going back to what you were talking about, like the definition of abortion and like how if somebody comes in bleeding in the first trimester, it's a threatened abortion. And that goes in their medical record. I think that the general public, including politicians who are actually in charge of making these laws and policies, put intent behind that word. And it doesn't necessarily carry intent. It could be a process that happens biologically with the fault of no one. So it's just, it's one of those things that's extremely frustrating. And then to see these women in this study go through all of that, and then one can never have children again. And the fact that people do not think about the long-term implications of putting these women through pregnancy. And I think that you've already touched on the fact that pregnancy is not benign. It is legitimately a medical condition. And not allowing a pregnant person to decide what to do with their body, especially if they enter into the pregnancy with already known health conditions that put them at higher risk of other risks during pregnancy is just insane. And I think a lot of people in the anti-abortion camp kind of, they're like, oh, well, then you shouldn't be having sex or all these crazy things that's Mm -hmm. like, you're, you're not allowed to determine how other people live their life. But there's plenty of people out there who use contraception correctly Mm-hmm. and still end up pregnant. I yeah. had a oh, yeah. patient the other day that I combed through her chart because I was like, how did this happen? But it just happens. And it it's does. not the I just fault had of one. anybody. I just had one on yes. Monday. I yes. had a patient who was on, I mean, granted it was birth control pills, which I feel like are definitely the birth control method that can be yeah. a little tougher. But she she told me that she, she had taken them all, you know, like she had taken them yeah. every single day. So it might've been a few hours off, but even a few hours off, it, that's all it takes. It's supposed sometimes. to be, yeah. And this girl was on depo, and I looked oh. back through her chart, and she got her injections. She got negative pregnancy tests every time, and it just happens. And so, you know, she did the best she could, and you know, so like abstinence education is not real. Like that doesn't work. So, like <laughs> we're not going to go there. If somebody like that has underlying health conditions and they're purposely doing like taking contraception to prevent themselves from getting pregnant because of those Mm -hmm. things, like why does their life matter less because they happen to get pregnant? And so you're kind of committing them to this future of unknown. First of all, we have no idea how everybody is going to end up, you know, 
faring through pregnancy. There's just so many different things that can happen. And I think that like right off the bat, you are committing somebody by saying you have to have this baby. You're committing them to resources that they may not have. And so, you know, you're committing them to time. The average like pregnancy is about 15 or 16 visits from start to finish. Um, you're assuming that they have proper transportation. You're assuming that they have the time and that they can take time off work to do all of these things because, you know, we're not seeing patients in the middle of the night when nobody's working. We see patients during normal business hours. And so people have to take off work a lot of time. And so, you know, even if they have one minor complication, it increases the time that they have to spend at the office. They may have to go to a high risk doctor and that increases cost. And I think that we all know that we live in a healthcare system or a country with a healthcare system that is not very cost-friendly sometimes and is definitely not friendly to working mothers in general, but that's like a whole other topic. <laughs> and then it's it's this mental burden and I see it all the time. I do the new OB, the new obstetrical appointments. So anytime our patients are pregnant, I see them first We go through a lot of education, we confirm pregnancy, we discuss dating, and sometimes we do a sonogram. Most of the time we don't just because most of the time when they come see me first, it's just not at the proper age to do the, you know, the measurements and the dating sono correctly. But they, a lot of them have this stress and it's either comes from trauma from a previous miscarriage or knowing somebody that had a miscarriage or the fact that they didn't think they were going to get pregnant. They weren't expecting pregnancy. That first visit is always like I have my patient is usually a stress ball. They have all these questions. There's all this unknown. And so, you know, right off the bat, it's just increased stress. And so, and then you go through the first trimester and I think everybody pretty much knows you have the highest risk of miscarriage during the first trimester. And so sometimes some spotting can be normal. It depends on a lot of things, but anytime there's any spotting, it is like an emergency and they feel like it, it, it. it's, it's difficult to reassure them really at that point. And so it's really just a matter of time. And so, you know, first trimester bleeding is really common with placental abnormalities, specifically like subchorionic hemorrhages, I think is the most common cause of first trimester bleeding. But it's just a really stressful time for us because we want to be able to reassure them as providers, but also for the patient to just kind of wait and see what happens. And so, you know, and this is, with wanted pregnancies most of the time. And so, you know, and then we get to the anatomy sonogram that's normally at 20 weeks and there's any number of anatomical anomalies that we could find. If they haven't done genetic testing, we could possibly be seeing, you know, signs of Down syndrome for the first time. And, you know, that's the other thing is we do genetic testing. And if there's any risk that comes back of things like Down syndrome and, you know, any of the other chromosomal abnormalities that we we screen for, They have to go to like the high risk doctor. They do genetic counseling. And in some cases, the baby is perfectly fine. And so, you know, this is all just to say it's not just a walk in the park and you're not guaranteed a healthy baby or a healthy pregnancy just because you're pregnant. And I think that there's this misconception that like pregnancy is this benign thing where it's all rainbows and unicorns and, you know, everybody wants to have a baby, but you know, that's just, that's not real life. And, you know, as you get further into pregnancy, there's so many other things that can happen. You know, we usually screen for gestational diabetes around 28 weeks. Gestational diabetes is really difficult sometimes. It some most of the time it has nothing to do with the patient's lifestyle or choices. It an insulin resistance created by the hormones that are coming from the placenta. And so a lot of time it's really easily managed with diet and exercise, but if it's not controlled very well, it increases risk for both mom and baby. And you know, there's so many other things that can happen during pregnancy, the placenta specifically, like is the life source of baby. And there's so many malformations that can occur, unknown growth restriction. Like sometimes we can't see a reason on a sonogram. Of course, this is more in the realm of high risk obstetrics, which I am not, but it's just, it's such a time that 
it can't just be waved away as, oh, yeah, pregnancy. It's fine. You can just give the baby up for adoption. It's not just about the baby at the end of the journey. There's a lot that happens in between. And I think it's important to note, too, that these complications, they don't necessarily need to be things that only happen during the pregnancy. Some people, right, have either short-term complications that occur within the first couple weeks or months following delivery. And some might even have lifelong complications after delivery. Like this is not, and none of this is to scare anybody. These are just facts. Like I always say this when I'm on my podcast, because like, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like you said, everything sunshine and rainbows. Okay. Like pregnancy is a medical condition, period. These things can happen, period. You need to know those things before agreeing to, I would want to know everything that could happen to my own body if I was going to do something. So we're just simply like making the facts kind of like known. And so these things, I mean, complications or like long-term complications are of course not incredibly common, but they happen and you don't know necessarily who they will happen to, right? Oh, no. And it's we just, just like a lot of the have a great way to like, predict that. Yes. Yeah. Like preeclampsia, I will say the one thing that is so scary to me as somebody who had four kids, like the the one thing that I was always nervous about was preeclampsia. Like I have seen that in the emergency department more. That's the one thing that I'm always like, oh my gosh, it's more common in people that have never been pregnant before. And there are just so many significant complications from that. And that in and of itself, I mean, there's just... There's so many things that people that are making laws about a woman's body are not even educated about, right? If you're in the position of power where you're able to make a law about something for the people, like you should be required to be educated on that subject first. (laughs) I mean, I feel like as a lawmaker, if you're going to delve into a specialty that you really are not educated on, you need to have somebody or multiple people on a board to consult. You know, going back to preeclampsia, that's that's something that we can't predict. Mm -hmm. I had a marathon runner who was like super fit, did all the things you're supposed to do, right? Like ate healthy, exercised, you know, all these things that we put in this little box of health. And she still ended up with preeclampsia in her second pregnancy. That's just not something that we could ever predict. And it's so serious. And so the underlying mechanism and the fact that we don't have all the information there, and then you have people in power making these decisions who like, have no idea about anything really. And then we're like still in the dark about so many of these medical conditions surrounding mm-hmm. pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And then there's, this is just pregnancy. We haven't even gotten to delivery. Oh. Delivery is a whole other game. That is a whole other, yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're right. You're and so right. like, you know, my delivery was not rainbows and sunshine. And I'm so thankful that my son is here and that my doctor, who I now work for, funnily enough, got me through all of that. But you know, it's it's not something like looking back at my own experience that I can go, no, you need to go through that. Like if if somebody is seriously not wanting to like, first of all, carry a baby, birth a baby, and then have that baby and care for that baby while they're recovering from growing that baby <laughs> for 10 months, then that's not something I feel like I could look anybody in the eye and say, no, you need to do that. And that's the thing is the politicians, they don't have to do that, right? Like they're not in the rooms. They're not having the conversations. They have no idea. Right, right. This podcast episode is brought to you by Green Chef. Green Chef makes eating well simple with plans to fit every lifestyle. Whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, vegetarian, gluten-free, or just looking to eat more balanced meals, Green Chef offers a range of recipes to suit your preferences. They have expanded their menu and you can now choose from 30 recipes weekly. If you want to mix and match meals from different dietary preferences in the same box, no problem. 
You can order vegan for one day and keto the next if you choose. They also offer 10-minute lunches, which include convenient, low-prep lunch recipes that are great for busy days. We recently tried out a few meals and really loved one of their meatloaf recipes. We didn't find it difficult to prepare, and it was something everyone in the family enjoyed. With so many recipes to choose from every week, it's easy to find something everyone will enjoy. Green Chef is the only meal kit that is both carbon and plastic offset. They offset 100% of their carbon footprint, as well as 100% of the plastic in every box. To try Green Chef, go to greenchef.com slash lindsay60 and use the code lindsay60 to get 60% off plus free shipping. That's L-Y-N-Z-Y 60. And I mean, the other thing is the United States doesn't really have the greatest, like our maternal mortality rates. <laughs> like you think to yourself, I mean, at least this was me growing up as a kid. Like I'm talking like teenager, maybe even into PA school. I was like, oh, America, like you'd want to come here for your health care. Like this is where it's at, you know? And then the more you grow up, you're like, embarrassed. Honestly, it's embarrassing. It truly is. Like our maternal and infant mortality rate in the United States is not what you would think it was. I was actually just trying to pull up some numbers, but I think this this is from, let's see, this is from 2018 to 2020. And of course, the most important thing here is that your black and women of color are obviously... Uh-huh. Yes, so much I was more just significantly at risk than your yes. white women. So this is already so if you're if you're making a law about something and forcing women to carry a pregnancy, you're automatically now choosing a path for one population of people that are going to have a significantly higher mortality rate. And it's just yeah, so this is Deaths per 100,000 live births. So it looks like, oh, this was, oh, I see. So they're comparing the dates. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Okay. So this chart, I'm, I'll, I'll put this. This is from the CDC. I will link this into the notes. Yeah. So it compares 2018, 2019, and 2020. And then it compares white versus black versus Hispanic. And you can see steadily, yeah, so steadily over from 2018 to 2020, the numbers have increased steadily, which is horrible, right? And I can't, I cannot wait to see some of this information, these, these statistics after this year when they made this. I mean, in Texas alone, 2021 and 2022 will be really interesting. <laughs> yeah, I kind of dread it, rate. to be honest. Yeah, and, the infant mortality you know, rate and the maternal mortality rate. I want to yeah. see both. And, you know, it's like, why? Why is our maternal mortality rate increasing? And in the black population, it jumped a lot. In 2018, yeah. it was 37 and it went up to 55 deaths per 100,000 live births. Yep. Like, that's pretty significant, really. It's pretty significant. And then, and this is before any of these laws were in place. So I right. cannot even imagine what yeah. it will look and it's, like. It's going to vary state to state pretty yeah. a lot oh, more significantly. pretty significantly. And we're not mm-hmm. even – I bet you we're not even going to have that data, right, for a while. <laughs> like when? Yeah, years I, and I years. I don't know. Texas, and so the problem is how many people are going to have to suffer or die before we have that data to say, look, this is crazy, Right. And yeah. and that's what is is so frustrating because nothing will change until something happens. Until people die. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. Is like we're sitting here and talking numbers. And this was this was like one of my whole things during COVID. You you're comfortable sitting there talking percentages, one percent or less than one percent. That that's those are people. That's a significant amount of people, especially when you apply it to the entire nation. These are people's lives. These are mothers, daughters, sisters, in some cases, brothers, you know what I mean? Like these are people's lives and there's just a callous nature in the politician's way of setting these laws in place without regard for human life. And it's 
almost funny, but it's like actually not. It's heartbreaking because it's under the guise of protecting life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's not. Yeah. 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 And there was also, I, I want to put, I'm going to put this in the show notes as well, but the CDC has this chart about severe maternal morbidity after delivery discharge. So these are women who have given birth and then discharged home. And these are severe complications. So their course of care was Mm -hmm. stable during the pregnancy or during the delivery and postpartum and they're discharged because there's no reason to keep them. Right. And these, so that rate as well. So the morbidity after discharge has also been increasing. So anyway, all of that I'm sure will be really interesting to follow in the years to come because I just, I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't know what you think, Sarah, but like, do you think anything will change with the legislation before we We get the data data like that to say, Hey, look, (laughs) this is what's happening. I I highly doubt it. Honestly, it took so long for the... group of people who was working to overturn Roe v. Wade to do so, like, Mm -hmm. like listening and reading about all of the like intricate planning and planting of seeds way back when, and you know, all of this, it's just, it's almost sickening because I'm just like, why do we have to play games Mm -hmm. when we're really just talking about people's lives? So I don't know. And it's really hard to get a conversation with, like I have tried reaching out to some of my local representatives. I've tried reaching out to, you know, higher up representatives. It's really hard to get a conversation with anybody to be like, hello, please pay attention to this. This is important. These were important considerations prior Mm -hmm. to these laws being put into place. But now that they're in place, it's affecting things at an even greater rate. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm obviously frustrated practicing here and feeling like I, I don't have the ability to contribute much to fighting for my patients, but I'm going to continue informing them of the things I need to inform them. I'm going to continue protecting them when I need to protect them. Like we try to make it very clear that we are a safe place for our patients, no matter what's going on in their health. So It's just, it's extremely frustrating that we essentially can't get people to listen to Mm -hmm. what's important. And I think that they don't care in some cases because they do these things for the votes, right? And so that's like a whole other conversation about how our political system is broken. But Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Do you want to touch on, because we were talking so much about like, the medical complications that can happen during mm-hmm. pregnancy and delivery. Do you want to touch on the safety of abortions and like that procedure in general yes. when it, when compared to, you know, going through an entire pregnancy and the delivery? Yeah. Like I'm trying to pull up my statistic here. The risk of death is 14 times higher for childbirth than an induced abortion. And I think that, you know, Abortions, whether it's a medical abortion abortion where you take pills early on in pregnancy or a procedure that you have possibly later in pregnancy, is safer in general than carrying a pregnancy, delivering a pregnancy, and living through the postpartum time frame of pregnancy. So, I mean, I thought that was pretty significant that you have like the risk of death is 14 times higher for childbirth than an induced abortion. So, you know, these are very safe procedures. And I think that there's a lot of miscommunication, misinformation about there about how it's dangerous. And, you know, you might not have, be able to have babies in the future. Well, you probably have a higher risk of not being able to have babies in the future by being pregnant and carrying pregnancy to term or not being able to get the care you need when you have a complication during your pregnancy. So, you know, allowing at least the medical abortion aspect would honestly be a compromise for me. But I think the biggest thing about abortion is where do you draw the line? And I just don't think you can. I've had this discussion with my own dad a lot. And, you know, he's a military guy. He is very objective in conversations, but he really wants me to draw a line for him. And so do all the legislators. They want to know like, okay, well, where do you cut it off? And it's 
like we mentioned before, medicine is such an individualized thing. It's so different in every case. Everybody has different experiences, values, goals for their life, health issues or health history. It's just, it's all so different. And I think that a lot of us providers are trying to treat people as entire people. And so, you know, mental health definitely goes into that too. So, I mean, how how do you tell somebody who is, you know, struggling with mental health and hasn't yet been stabilized in their diagnosis that like, oh no, you're, you're going to have to carry this pregnancy and then raise a child to know that abortion is safer than pregnancy delivery and postpartum, I think is something not talked about enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. There was also, I don't know if you off the top of your head can remember, but recently I was listening to something and it was mentioning the breakdown of when abortions actually happen, which again, I don't think personally matters because again, like you just, I just don't think you can draw a line anywhere. There are just so many, like there's just so much nuance to it all. And so much more to this to the story patient to patient basis that you just you cannot do that but i do feel that a lot of the oh, a lot of the visuals that are given by these like pregnancy crisis centers so let's touch on this really briefly because i don't know that everyone may even know about these they're so cryptic it should absolutely be illegal. And it's crazy. They are everywhere. Okay. Like it doesn't matter if you're in a pro-abortion state or not. They're everywhere. So these are like, it, it basically, it says like pregnancy care basically on the outside. Like these are just places that you would think, okay, I can, I can seek my care here. Like I can go here for a pregnancy test, just like you would Planned Parenthood basically. And they strategically set up near like Planned Parenthood facilities. Like they are, they're so good at what they do and they're predatory. And you go in there and they will try to talk you out of getting an abortion if that's what you went there for. And so they will oftentimes give you pamphlets. They will oftentimes even show you videos, like mm -hmm. very, very graphic videos of like full-term babies being ripped out of a woman's body. Like it's, yeah. it is wild stuff. Like, like why would you ever want to do this to your baby? It's all yes. based in lies. Like, like there's lies, but at best it's like twisted truths. Well, and it just shames, it shames people that is, so it, yeah. they basically get you to do what they want by shaming you. Right. Right. And so my whole point is that it paints this picture of all people that want to get rid of their babies. This is what it looks like. And this is how it's presented. And there's no other information. Right? Again, I can't remember where I heard or saw this. And so I, after this, I'm going to, I will try to hunt it down and I will link it into the show notes if I can find it. So don't take this at face value. I, I can't remember where it came from, but it breaks down the percentage of abortions by trimester. We all know that the majority of abortions happen within the first trimester. Like most of them are medical abortions where someone takes a pill and everything is done, right? Yeah, and you have a bad period. And then second trimester would be the second most common and then third trimester. I mean, the percentage of people having abortions in the third trimester is so incredibly low. It's ridiculous. Why are we even talking about it? And the people that are have are 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 typically people who have been so excited to be pregnant, right? And I even did a whole I did a pod two podcast episodes on women that have experienced abortion and some of them were horrific stories of being like 20 weeks pregnant and finding out that their baby would die, right? And having to find care. And so those are the groups of that those are the people we're talking about and then the 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 biggest group on top of the women who were having significant complications with the pregnancy that had to abort the next group 
were kids like under 16 or something. Like it was like pre-adolescence. Like it was crazy. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, so we have like the way that we're shaming people is talking about a subset of the population that is, first of all, so incredibly low. But the the two groups of people that are in that category are babies themselves and would never be able to raise a human, right? right. They can't possibly right. do that. They haven't even grown up yet. They can't even They don't drive. allow them to adopt. They don't allow them to adopt a kid right. at that age. Right. <laughs> because it's 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 crazy. It's and irresponsible. Then the other subset is people like women who have been so excited about a pregnancy and find out that something is so incredibly wrong that either their life is at risk and they might die or their baby would die. And they have to make this incredibly horrific, awful decision, right? All of the like just uh, propaganda, I guess, is the word I want to use. Like it's all based off of this third trimester abortion. And I'm like, this is cuckoo bananas. Like I, this doesn't even happen. Like this is like, it's like you're simulating this life that doesn't exist. Like, (laughs) I don't know. Like, it's just, yeah. Anyways, it gets me so fired up. I just don't understand it. I mean, this, this comes from the CDC and it's 91% of abortions are at equal to or under 13 weeks. 8% are 14 to 20 weeks of gestational age. And then literally 1% are greater than or equal to 21 weeks gestation. And so we're we're talking about still in the second trimester here where you're saying 1% greater than 21 weeks. And so, mm-hmm. you know, you have politicians who are like, so you would okay an abortion at 39 weeks, you know, right before that baby is about it's to like, be full who term. Are you, who are you talking to? Who Who's does that? that? Where did that even happen? Who? No, exactly. <laughs> like, like wild. But also, who are you to be involved in such a case where that would even be a question? Right. Right. <laughs> it's just, it's like, uh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. All right. So all of that. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, else, what else should we touch on? I, you know, I, one thing I do want to touch on is the fact that, you know, pregnancy is such a risk for mental health. And I don't feel right phrasing it like that, but you know, with all of the hormonal shifts and changes and then, you know, you have that happening postpartum as well in a country that still stigmatizes and doesn't fully support and treat mental health issues, I think that that's something else that's really important to mention is that you're putting people, like subjecting them to going through something that could potentially be traumatic, right? Like birth trauma is real. And then you're subjecting them to a time when, you know, their hormones might be putting them at higher risk of depression, anxiety, or anything else like that. And then you're putting them at more risk for mental illness postpartum because there's some things that we know increase risk of postpartum depression and anxiety, but there's a lot of things we don't understand about that. And so in a country that doesn't have a very good support system for mental illness, that's another really important aspect. And so if we're actually going to talk about saving lives and improving the quality of life of people, you know, I I feel like this is a topic amongst people who think like us, right? Is like, you need to actually be teaching about sex and reproductive organs and how this works. We need to be doing better about sex education. We need to be doing better about covering contraception. I tried to prescribe a contraceptive to my patient the other day and her insurance didn't cover it. I was like, what? Why? We need to do better with that. And then this goes back to the whole maternal mortality thing. How in the world are you going to force women to give birth in a country that has dismal mortality rates? It's, it seems like a joke to me, honestly, mm-hmm. when I talk about it out loud. I'm just like, this, this makes sense to people? This, this right. can't make sense to anyone. Right. I do but remember. it's because they don't know the things that we know. Right. And I do remember this was back when I was on social media. So gosh, it was more than a year ago. And I used to talk about, I mean, at the end there, 
my friend Carla, she was telling me this. We recently went on like a girl's trip. We go on a girl's trip like every couple months. And so she was like, Lindsay, yeah, she was like, Lindsay, it was hard for me to even watch your stories at the end there because you kind of went crazy. And I was like, I was like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Well, because she knows me really well. So she was like, it was like, it was like over the the year that you were like leaving, you just kind of like, you could tell that you really didn't care at all. Like, oh, what you were, yeah. like I just, I just had no, I, I've actually, yeah, I've actually followed you for a while and I've only ever won anything off of Instagram one time. And it was a pair of jeans. I won when you were doing a giveaway with Beachy. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's so funny. That's awesome. I know. <laughs> I love it. It's, oh gosh. So I do kind of know where she's coming from. I was like, oh no, she's over this. Yeah. Like I'm oh, happy yeah. for her. Like she's you could tell it was right time decision. for me to exit. Yeah. It was time for me to exit yeah. the stage. But anyway, what was I where was I going with that? Oh, so I would I would oftentimes talk about it's very taboo for any like quote influencer. It, that is like I just despise that term so much. But it is what I mean, it is the term. So for anybody that influences to like talk about a controversial subject, right? Because you're automatically going to lose part of your community. It just happens. People don't want to hear something they don't agree with. And so that happened to me on so many different topics because I just went, again, I kind of flew off the deep end and just talked about all the things that were controversial. (laughs) And that was like all I talked about at the end. But it is really important. And and it's important because you can't make change unless you talk about the hard things. Like it's just, how has anything in the world been changed unless people fought for it and, and had a different opinion and like went, you know, full force with it. Like, I mean, you just, you don't make change. But anyway, so I was talking about abortion and I had, I, 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 I love listening to people that disagree with me because I really want to understand where they're coming from. I really do. I really, really, really do. So I do understand what they're saying. I mean, they want something, right? They they want to protect a life, right? And I'm not saying this is the case for everyone. Like you can't speak for everyone, but the people that I talk to genuinely, right? They want to protect this life. And some of them may have been, you know, a baby themselves that was put up for adoption. And now they have this wonderful, beautiful life, which is great, but that's not the case for everyone, right? So I understand that, you know, a person's life and the way that they live it obviously weighs heavily on, on you know, like their opinion on things, right? So I always try to like listen and like try to understand where they're coming from. But with the abortion thing, I had so many people weighing in. So I think it's at some point I must have been on a thread that was like, Hey, go attack this person on Instagram oh, because yeah, I hate you know how that happens. That. Yeah, yes. that happened to me a lot, especially with vaccines oh, and especially with it. abortion. Great. So People I basically awesome. got attacked by these anti-abortion groups all at once, and so I would say the number one thing that they would argue with me about. Well, no, the number one thing they would argue with me about was you know just the killing babies thing, and then the second thing was that mental health. That, like you had mentioned, they would always say, well, you have to understand the mental health aspect of this. Can you imagine what it's like to know that you killed your own baby and people have to live with that forever and it's devastating for them? And and I was like, okay, <laughs> I'm not sure where you're getting your information from, but that is like a like incredible blanket statement because that is not the case. Could it be the case? Absolutely. That can absolutely be the case. Yes. But is that the case for most or for like you can't that's such a generalized blanket statement. You just cannot say that. What about the mental health? Let, let's address the mental health of a person who is forced to give birth against her will if she was raped or if she was a a product of incest or if she had a medical condition that worsened during her pregnancy making her almost incapable of you know taking care of a child in an abusive relationship i don't know th- let's count the million ways 
that somebody could have a mental health issue from being forced to carry a pregnancy that they did not want. Like, I mean, we could absolutely play both sides on this. So that can't be part of the argument, right? Like it, it just doesn't make any sense. But that was, that was so frequently. So that's also another huge tactic within the crisis pregnancy centers. It's, it's, you are going to regret this for the rest of your life. Your mental health will be affected. You will be incredibly depressed. Like, and so, and, and that That is not supported by data. By it's not supported by data at all. No. And and really nothing those crisis pregnancies those pregnancy centers say is is supported by data. But I I also want to point out since we kind of already passed that subject, but they often don't have certified and legal like practitioners there. Like a lot of the people working there are not licensed. Yeah. So who who does work at those? I've always wondered that. We have one down the street, and I I I drive by it, and I just. It, it it makes me ill. And yes. I always wonder, like, who's in there working behind the desk? <laughs> you know? I think there are nurses and there are occasionally, like, licensed providers providing sonograms. But, you know, a lot of the people providing education and coordinating, you know, quote unquote care are not licensed medical professionals. How is that legal? Oh, right. I have How no idea. A medical facility. Because they probably have enough medical personnel to like meet the quota or whatever. And then they divvy up the responsibilities and the actual time spent with patients so that the licensed professionals don't always have to be there. I that's, feel like that's a guess. That is a guess. That is not fact. I, I feel like I need to make an episode yeah. on pregnancy crisis centers alone and find somebody that can tell me everything about them. I would also, I would love to listen to that. <laughs> right? Like I, I feel know. like there's this like shroud that just like kind of, they're kind of secretive in some ways. So I'm going to either have to find somebody who used to work in one that disagrees with them now, right? Or, or I don't know. Right, because who's going to know? But I don't know if they're going to know the ins and outs of like who works there and like, like what goes into establishing one. And because, like I said, they're so incredibly like they're they're really intentional and thoughtful about where they place these crisis centers. And I mean, to be that meticulous about something that's like, I don't know. It's just so mischievous. Like, it's just like, it's a, I don't know. It's like, they're miss, it is, yeah, that's the word I'm looking for, malicious and misleading. And so to be that intentional about something that's misleading and, and what I would call malicious, I guess other people wouldn't, but it's like, I don't know. I don't know. It's like this mystery. Now I feel like I need to do a deep dive on these places. You hear about them all the time, like here and there in the news. I mean, you obviously hear about them more now after the overturning of Roe v. Wade because they're popping ev- they're popping up everywhere. There used to be a Planned Parenthood, so especially in places that are anti-abortion, all of the clinics that used to provide care, even clinics that just provided care without abortion, like if they've closed, the care, the pregnancy crisis centers have opened up in their place. And pe- yeah. sometimes people don't even realize that it's no longer Planned oh, Parenthood. It's happening all the time here in Texas. There's specific organizations, and I don't really want to name them because I think that they feel bad about the fact that this happened. But there was a resource that we used to use all the time, and they were unable to continue care because of the changes in the laws. And this organization was not very clear about the fact that they were a, pre- pre- a crisis pregnancy center. They bought the building and unbeknownst to this organization, they like, it it was like this whole thing and they were crushed that they had essentially helped the mission that's complete opposite of what they stand for. So, I mean, that just goes to the whole like deceptive nature of everything to do with a crisis pregnancy center. And then on top of that, like, you know, we were talking about how it's not their care, their, their recommendations, or it's not based in evidence. My friend texted me the other day. She lives in Alabama 
And she is like asking me about how, you know, well, what's the data on the COVID vaccine causing miscarriage? I have a friend that, you know, she's an RN. She works at a crisis pregnancy center here. And she was telling me all this stuff. And I was like, immediately, I sent her like three links. And I was like, no, 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 that's absolutely not true. And also, did she tell you she's telling her patients at the crisis pregnancy center this? And she was like, yeah, I think she is. I was like, great, great even more <laughs> misinformation coming out of a place like that. So what what accountability do they have? I have no idea. Right. Like who's holding them accountable? Nobody. I, <laughs> I mean, apparently, know. obviously. Uh, no. Mm. That's just so crazy. Yeah. Ugh. Well, let's let's end it on a really positive note. How can we do that? <laughs> I feel oh, like we've both just great- been like <laughs> Ah, the whole time. It's a very frustrating topic for, you know, those of us that work in the medical field, especially as women and people who have given birth before and knowing what these laws mean for everybody in the future. And then especially the medical implications that are tied to it that nobody really ever talks about, you know, the long-term health issues that could potentially come with all of these laws. And we are already seeing that, but, you know, I think that there is hope. There's lots of us that are here and have decided that it's worth it to stick around in Texas to fight for our patients. I know all the providers and the doctors I work with have kind of made that determination, but you know, the (laughs) policymakers and legislators and political leaders are making it increasingly harder. But I know that there's people out there really, really working to bring light to all of this information and really hope that if we can get the right person to listen, that we will be able to make some headway just in simply saying, these laws are hurting people. How can we fix that? You know? Yeah, no, I'm I'm glad you brought that up because that was something I did want to touch on very quickly is just that, first of all, the people that are staying in, in states like Texas and fighting for their patients are heroes. And it's going to be increasingly more difficult to obtain providers within these states if they continue having these restrictive laws because no one is going to want to practice in a place where they could potentially either be fined or thrown in jail or what could happen to them if they simply provided their patient with care and and care that is the standard of care and recommended by all of the i mean abortion is recommended by all of these different organizations that are supported medically right so yeah the american college of obstetricians and exactly. gynecologists And you're trained to do something that provides people with the standard of medical care and you would not want to work in a state in which you're not able to provide the full range of medical care for your patients, especially if you might end up in jail or might end up fined because you did what was right for your patient. And so these states are going to struggle to get people to work there, you know? And so the people that are staying and providing that care or the people that are choosing to like run towards the fire, these are the people that are going to, are going to make changes and fight for what's right. So kudos to those people. Yeah. That's a great way. There are, yes, (laughs) there are people out there. We're fighting for, you know, medical rights and, And just choice, really, having the choice to decide in something that is so serious and so dire as your healthcare and your future. All right. So let's end with two questions I always ask everyone I interview. So the first one is, if you could give one piece of advice to moms, it can be about anything, what would it be? I wish somebody had told me when I had my son, like, look, no one is going to care for your child the way that you will. You have thought this out. You know the quote unquote right ways to do things, but you know, you can't do everything. And so kind of relinquishing some of that control and some of that power to other people to, for you to be able to be a whole person and not just have to 
do all the things related to motherhood is necessary for you to actually feel whole. That's the one piece of advice I have. (laughs) Yes, I love that. All right. So the last question is, if you could make one meal for your family that everyone would eat, that's relatively quick and easy, what would it be? We, we call it like a burrito bowl. It's essentially kind of what you get from Chipotle. It's steamed rice, some shredded chicken, black beans and corn just cooked up in the on the stovetop and added lettuce and whatever condiments you want. And it's always a big hit. It's really easy to make for a lot of people. And it's like a healthy dinner that we love to eat all the time. Yeah. And you know what too? Kids love, I've learned so much of this, like as my kids have grown a little bit older. So my kids love to do any type of dinner in which they get to choose all their toppings and like do it themselves. Oh, right? yes. Yeah. Yes, so like, oh, here's a bowl <laughs> and here are all your choices. It's like, it's like night and day between when I make a meal and throw it all onto a plate for them. And then between like that and when they get to choose it themselves. So that's like another, that's like a great meal where you can just like lay it all out. Okay, here's your cheese. Here's your sour cream. Here's your avocado. Here's all these things. And you can just choose what you want. And it's like- And my son doesn't like any of the ingredients to touch. So his is all separated on his So that, (laughs) yeah. And that's that's how my, that's how our our seven-year-old is still that way. Like she was like that. And I was like, oh, she'll grow out of this. No, everything needs to be separate. (laughs) Yeah. And I don't know if he'll grow out of that. He's five, but we'll see. Maybe not. (laughs) Yeah, maybe not. I mean, he might be 35 still putting everything in separate little compartments. Yeah, I'll get him special plates for Christmas one year. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. All right, Sarah, thank you so much for spending your evening with me chatting about these really important topics and within our abortion care here in the US. I hope things change and the only way they will is if we talk about it. So this was perfect. And if you're listening, maybe bring up abortion at Christmas. (laughs) Hey. (laughs) Like or your holiday get together, whatever it might be, whatever you celebrate, you know? Yes. Somebody if they want to talk about it. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I celebrate we're celebrating Christmas in Alabama with my husband's family this year. That's gonna be interesting. I'm I'm probably going to bring the sweatshirt I'm wearing right now that says pro abortion, but also like pro chemotherapy, pro hip replacement, pro mastectomy, pro lung transplant. Like essentially it's like any other medical procedure. You mean pro medicine? Um, yeah, right. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. So so that'll oh. be interesting. And I, I agree. Have I at wish it. You so much luck. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Oh my gosh. All right. Thank you so much, Sarah. I really appreciate your time. Yes, you too. Have a good evening. You too. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. All resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes on lindsayandco.com. To continue these important conversations, head over to Motherhood Meets Medicine on Instagram. Let me know what you learned from this episode and who you would love to hear from next. I always love getting feedback from you. If you're finding value in this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. This will help us to reach even more women from around the world. I'll catch you next week. Until then, don't forget to find some time to unplug, unwind, and have a little fun. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.